Okay, who can name the song? Five seconds in. Raise your hand. Okay, Dust in the Wind. All right, that's enough. That's enough. All right. Okay, well, Dust in the Wind, welcome this, this morning again from the band Kansas and uh, from the book of Ecclesiastes and from Sweetwater First Methodist. Uh, if you've got kids that are out here squealing, we're really especially glad that you're here, and I'm serious about that. So we love it. And uh, yeah, so Dust in the Wind. I close my eyes only for a moment. And the moment's gone. Right? All these things that just evaporate. And all we are is dust in the wind. Where, where, does, where does this author get such language? All we are is dust in the wind. Well, we could say he gets it from Genesis. We could say he gets it from the book of Ecclesiastes. And probably a little bit of both. Great. We love songs like that. Because they affirm feelings and beliefs and frustrations that we hold so deeply. So we are going to look at the book of Ecclesiastes today. We're going to do just kind of a really quick book survey. We're going to look at this book. Why in the world do we have this book as Christians? It seems confusing. It seems whimsical. It seems sometimes cynical or dismissive of life. So what are we doing with this book in our Bible? And there have been people over the years that wanted to take it out of the Bible, of course. Uh, but we're glad it's still in there. Uh, we're continuing our series today uh, called Getting Involved with God. This is the fourth part in the series where we look at Ecclesiastes. We're looking at Job next week, so that'll really be a lot of fun. And uh, the wisdom that we learn from a sufferer like Job. Uh, but today, we're just continuing in this series where we're observing that God has always been involved with us. He began the involvement process at creation, and He continues to be involved with us through the drama of salvation. And here we are today, and so... We could say that the entire Old Testament narrative and move, building into the New Testament is God reaching out and inviting us to reciprocate, saying, I'm involved with you. Now, will you receive the invitation and will you get involved with me? And that's what we're looking at in this series. We can borrow the language and some of the heart behind this from Ellen Davis, uh, an Old Testament scholar at Duke University. And so we appreciate her wisdom on this. But um, I'm just realizing that I forgot my... Uh, part of the text that I was going to read here. But um, I want you to imagine for just a minute the uh, like a college campus. Okay, think free speech area. Think uh, somebody has gathered. You know, at Tech, it was the, the Allen Theater. You know, and, and somebody's come into town and they've gathered all the college kids. You've got, you know, 500 college kids in an auditorium. And just imagine a guy standing up at the podium and reading these words. Vanity of vanities, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. All is absurd. What do people gain from the toil which they toil under the sun? One generation goes and another generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, it hurries again to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south, blows to the north. Round and round goes the wind returns. All the streams run to the sea, but the sea's not full. What has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. There is a thing which is said, see, there's a new thing over here. But it's actually already been. And it's been in the ages before us. The people long ago are not remembered. And they won't be any more remembered. Or the people yet to come are those that come after him. And you can just see all the college kids standing around going, hmm, 
That's very deep. That's very nice. I like that philosophy. Yeah, the wind, it blows, and it just keeps blowing. And the rivers, they run to the sea, but the sea is not full. And how is it? And the stars and the moon, and they all circle, but no one will remember anything. It's all a waste, right? All we are is dust in the wind. This is all just here today and gone tomorrow. And, and what is this life? The author of the book of Ecclesiastes refers to himself as Koheleth. And a lot of times they'll be translated as preacher or the quester or the messenger, but we'll just refer to him today as Koheleth. So if I say Koheleth, that's the guy that writes down these words and he's telling us these bits in Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new, right? We, we will sometimes be guilty of saying, you know, things are worse today than they used to be. Man, I'll tell you what, we can just go back to the good old days. Well, the writer of Ecclesiastes, Koheleth, says, Man, there's nothing new under the sun. It's been hard. It's always been hard. People have always been ridiculous. And life has always been hard. What do we gain from all of our toil under the sun? Like, why do we work so much? What do we really gain? We're all frustrated. I tried this hard work thing, but what became of it? What do I really have to show for it? I had these kids, and I poured my life into them. What do I have to show for it? This is a good book to read when you're young. I'm serious. This this is a book, if you're a youth or you're a kid and you're looking at I mean, this is a book you should own. This this is one you should hang on to and read. It will shake you. It will resonate with you. And then you say, yeah, that's, I feel that way a lot. I feel like no one understands when I say stuff like that. But it's real. Listen to a couple of places in Ecclesiastes where the writer is just telling the truth. Kohelet is just saying, this is how life looks sometimes. And I want to introduce you to a phrase when he says vanity of vanities or vanity all is meaningless. Uh, the Hebrew word is hevel. So if you want to practice your guttural, you can say hevel. And then hevel havalim is vanity of vanities. It just means like everything is absurd. It just seems ridiculous sometimes. An example of this is in chapter 2, verse 15. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. So if what happens to the fool happens to me, then why in the world do I bother being wise? <laughs> it's ridiculous, right? And I said in my heart, this is also Hevel. There is a Hevel that takes place on the earth, a vanity. And there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deed of the righteous. And this also is Hevel. This is also vanity. Right? He's just telling the truth. Sometimes the wicked people... Get the reward of the righteous, at least to our eyes. And then sometimes the wicked, the righteous people seem to get the reward of the wicked. Like we did everything right and still we got stuck with this or this happened. This horrible thing happened. And over here they're going, we did everything wrong. And like life worked out pretty good for us. Everything is Havel. Everything seems meaningless. A good translation of this can be vanity. It can also be absurdity. And I thought of, uh, kind of a fleeting mist, right? A dew. And think about, there are several connections, strangely, to Ecclesiastes and the book of James. So if you take Ecclesiastes as your book, maybe take as your New Testament book to go along with it, the book of James. James also makes reference to the fact that our life is just a moment, right? All we are is dust in the wind. Remember when James says, come now you who say in chapter 4, Today or tomorrow, we're going to go over there to that town and we're going to spend a year there and we're going to trade over there and we're going to write songs over there and we're going to preach sermons over there and we're going to do this and we're going to make a profit and then we're going to go to the next place. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then you're gone. You're just uh, you're, you're there and then you're gone. 
Hevel. And Davis observes that Hevel for us prompts one of two responses. Or I guess we say we have one or two opportunities. And the most common one when you read Ecclesiastes is kind of you picture the Dead Poet Society with Robin Williams standing on his desk and saying, Carpe diem, right? Seize the day. Just, if this may be the last day you ever live, so just make it happen. You only live once. And it's kind of a cynical view. Like, life's not going to get any better. You only live once, so just blow it open today. While you still got time, do something crazy, have some fun, whatever. But the governing verb in the book of Ecclesiastes is not seize. It's instead the verb give. The verb give occurs 28 times in 12 chapters in Ecclesiastes. 28 times. And usually the one who's giving is God. So the, the core message of Ecclesiastes is something like God is giving us a life to live. Stand in the real world and then receive the little or the huge gifts from God. Like Whatever comes your way, receive that with an open heart, with joy and thanksgiving. The earth and everything in it is good, right? Food and drink and marriage and friendship and all the stuff that comes around. He celebrates all these things. Receive it with joy and thanksgiving. It's all to be received good when received with measure and humility. For your enjoyment, my enjoyment of life was God's idea. James 1 that Jerry read for us, every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. There's no shifting shadow. It wasn't on accident. God gave us these good gifts on purpose. We live in the real world. We have been called to receive the gift of God. Martin Luther loved the book of Ecclesiastes, which is kind of funny because he didn't like the book of James. And they seem to me to go really well together. But anyways, Luther didn't obviously didn't ask me. But he said, we yearn for excess as though we will live forever. Meanwhile, we become bored with what is already present to us. Isn't that great? We, we, we yearn for more and more and more like we're going to be here forever. And meanwhile, we get bored with the stuff we've already got. That sounds like something we could have written today as well. But that's Martin Luther writing, you know, 500 years ago, saying that's why the book of Ecclesiastes is so important, because it causes us to make a list, to take inventory, and to say, thanks be to God that there's food on my table. Thanks be to God that there's a marriage, that there's a family, that there's extended family, that there's a place to work, that I have something to do with my hands. And it draws us into a posture of humility, which the early church fathers called humility the ground of all virtue. But if any virtue was to grow in you or me, it would start in the ground and the soil of humility. And the word humility comes from the Latin word humus, which means soil, right? Seed, bed. It's this fertile soil where things can grow within us. Where first we begin with humility, also which comes around in James. Remember in chapter 4, later on, humble yourself in God's sight and he will exalt you. You get down to ground level with God and he will raise you up. That's the kingdom of God. That's how God's economy works. The closer you get to the ground, the higher you soar in God's kingdom. From the soil. So, you know, this, this soil perspective, it does. It, it gives us, um, we kind of, sometimes we, we get low and we get that soil perspective and we, and we just respond with recklessness, saying we only get this one, one shot at it. But humility kind of spins a little bit. Rather than saying you only live once, it says you only get to live once. And it wasn't my idea. 
there is a particular joy that is the fruit of seeing and receiving a gift. There's no greater picture of humility than in Jesus Christ. Right? He restores for us something that we lost in the garden where we're constantly grasping and striving. And instead, Christ comes on the scene, and Paul captures this in Philippians 2 by saying, let each of you not look to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held onto, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. I'm so inspired by the stories of what people are holding on to at the end of their life. Right? All the, the great saints and the people that we know that inspire us, there's something they're holding at the end of their life that inspires us. Uh, the founder of Methodism, John Wesley, one of my favorite stories about him. In today's terms, he was a guy that would have made about you know between two and three million a year, we estimate. There's all these different things and publishing and property ownership and the stuff he was doing among the early Methodists. When he died, he owned no property, and every possession that he owned fit in one small box. And he had given everything away. It was all gone. He was only holding a few treasured possessions, and he was holding a legacy. He was holding his heart. He was holding things that he had given away, and that was what he presented. And that's part of the reason that we're here today. And I love those stories. I love thinking about what will I be holding at the end of my life. And, you know, Koheleth is not a cynic. He looks like a cynic at first with all the vanity of vanities business. And in the opening poem of the book, and in the here we'll go, opening poem of the book, and then closing poem of the book, he uses the same thing. He says Hevel in both cases. But the beginning of the book, the poem is all me, me, me. He says, I have seen, I have done, I have done, I have been, I have ran, I have run, I have bought, I have sold, I have, I have, I have. And by the end of the book, he says, remember your creator while you're still young. But remember where you came from while you've still got time. Like if you start young, then you're, you can hold now what you're going to hold in the end. This connection to a living God that loves you. Remember your creator while you're still young. And then the book ends and he says, you know, to sum it all up, you should fear the Lord and obey his commandments. And then the translations will usually say, for this is the duty of all people. And they're just trying to soften it and explain it. But really what the Hebrew says is, fear God and obey the commandments. For this is Adam. This is Adam. This is humanity. This is our essence, right, which is greater than a duty. But to fear God and to do his commandments is our very essence. That's who we are. And that's why we're here. And our stories end beautifully when we're holding at the end the fear of God and obedience of his commandments. And I've just been asking myself the last few days, if that's what I'm holding in the end, then what does that say to me now? If I knew that's what I could hold on to at the end was this fear of the Lord, this liberating fear of God where all the other fears are gone. Remember the hymn, uh, um, oh gosh, uh, because he lives, right? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. So life is worth the living just because he lives. So if the fear of the Lord washes away all the other fears, 
And that's the one fear that I hold on to. That makes for a pretty profound life. And so just want to encourage you today, wherever you are, to receive the gift of God in Jesus Christ. See, Ecclesiastes is a great forerunner to the gospel. It paves the way for Jesus because it strips us away from all of our false wisdom, all of our false piety, all the stuff where we just prop ourselves up and say, I have to keep it together. Ecclesiastes just rips all that apart and says life is ridiculously hard and it very rarely makes sense. And if you try to make it a math equation in the kingdom of God, you will toss it out the window. But it's a forerunner to the gospel, right? It makes a smooth place for Christ to sail in and land where we can receive him. We're not expecting him on our terms, but we're receiving him on his terms. And we welcome the kingdom of God. We welcome humility. We welcome the gift of grace that we cannot earn. And that begins this new life that we celebrate today. Amen.